Welcome back to Men Adopt Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families, as well as professionals. My name is Sunny Smish, and I'm an education coordinator here at Men Adopt. And I'm Chris, also an education coordinator here at Men Adopt. Welcome to part two of our series, The Making of Flipping the Script. Just a little bit about Daisy and Coco before we get started. They are internationally adopted sisters taking a gap year before going to college. Daisy is adopted from China and Coco is from India. During the gap year, they have plans to visit both countries to work with youth and orphanages of their origins. They were both in India until last week. Daisy is still in India working with the youth and Coco has returned to the United States to take a break, regroup, and therapeutically work towards healing from her adoption trauma that surfaced when she returned to her orphanage last month. So after we stopped recording our first podcast in this series, we covered many topics, and one of which was Gotcha Day. So for our listeners who don't know what Gotcha Day is, it's, it's when adoptive parents and children celebrate their adoption day. When we mentioned uh, Gotcha Day to during our last chat, both of you, Daisy and Coco, were confused as neither of you have ever heard of that term. So Chris and I thought it would be helpful for adoptive parents to understand why some adoptees do not like Gotcha Day. Yeah, so since our last podcast, what have you both learned about Gotcha Day and how do you feel about it? Um, I mean, you've both face the reality of adoption that some don't think about, such as adoption day celebrations. You mentioned participating in one and um, how these create mixed emotions for youth. So what do you want people to understand about these celebrations? Um, one thing that I, as Sunny mentioned, it, it is something that Coco and I had never heard of, neither had our other adopted sister, uh, Sunny from Ethiopia. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was very striking to hear that a day would be called Gotcha Day. Um, since we talked about it on the last podcast, I have gained further insight on why parents may view it um, as a beautiful thing. And um, I, I understand that it is uh, symbolic of of finally, you know, creating family or finally adopting after so many months or years of being in the system and trying to get your child. Um, and so I think that it's a beautiful celebration for parents. But I think that when it comes to adopted children and their interpretation of it, it isn't necessarily the same. Um, it's an interpretation, at least how I took it as an adoptee, is you, you're celebrating something that is actually very traumatic. Um, and for you as a parent, it makes sense. But as an adoptee, it, it hurts because it's, as an adoptee, I spend every birthday less happy and more contemplative over who my mom was and how many years she's missing out on my memories, my growth, everything. Um, so honestly, it's more of a melancholic day. Um, and so I think that goes along the, the thread of 
gotcha day where it's supposed to look happy. And for a lot of people and certain people like parents, it is, but for children, it really, it doesn't connect because they are thinking about the trauma of, you know, their story. And they had this background that isn't getting acknowledged. They had this story before the parents that isn't getting acknowledged. And it kind of sets a precedent that like, gotcha day is the day that you started your life. And that isn't true. Right. Do you, do you feel the same way, Coco? Um, well, so I was talking to uh, my mom about this a lot because I was like, I don't even know what this is. And I was saying sort of like, wow, it seems like very strange. Um, and like the wording just seems weird and everything. And then she kind of gave me a new perspective um, that makes a lot of sense that, um, that, uh, sorry, against my life um so she gave me this new perspective that a lot of times like foster kids who are like in the system and they're with their foster family and they really want to adopt a kid but because of maybe like their um the kid's bio family or like the legal system or something it's like super hard for them to adopt the kid and that when they finally do it's sort of like the whole family's really happy because it's like a symbol of like oh look at how far we've come just like with legal battles and everything and the kid actually really likes it because it kind of signifies that they're finally in this family um and even if they have you know like just other things and yes the same trauma and everything like the day kind of grounds them and makes them feel like yes like I'm in this family and like we we work through all of the challenges and we're finally whole and we're finally here um, and I finally get to say, like, I have a stable and happy family. And that was a perspective I've never thought about um, when it comes to adoption, because obviously we were so young and it was an international adoption. And it wasn't like um, it wasn't like we were taken out of our families because of abusive situations or anything like that. Um, and I feel like a lot of times when I think of adoption, I forget that there's there's a lot of slices of that pie. So that was an interesting perspective of what gotcha day could mean to like other people besides like, I feel like for us um, or like for me, I more think of it as like, no, that day was like awful because it signified I lost my culture. I lost my language. I lost everything that I knew. Um, and I came to this new place and now it's like, I no longer have that culture. I no longer have that language. Like it's something that's bittersweet because I gained a lot, but I also lost like a lot, but I know not all adoptees go through that. Um, and that's kind of unique to international adoptees. The, yeah, the transracial part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, it does represent uh, different things to different adoptees, depending on, on your point of view. Because I do know of some foster children that are very much looking forward to a new family. And some are not because mm -hmm. they're torn with their loyalty. So gotcha day can be a little um, controversial, I guess, or I could but, see how, yeah, go ahead. And, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be as black and white either. I mean, it, every family is going to be different. Every situation is going to be different. Every dynamic, um, number, age, race, all of it will be different. Um, and so I think it isn't necessarily about, do you celebrate gotcha day or do you not? Um, 
although I still think that gotcha day, the name should be revised. Um, <laughs> but it's very much like a kidnapping or something. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little weird, a little, yeah. but yeah. at the same time, like, I think, I think if you have a family, especially for our, our, my story as an adoptee, if you have a family that doesn't recognize your heritage, it doesn't recognize your, um, story before being adopted um and maybe not on purpose not not with an intent um or or malicious intent but i think that if they're if they're not recognizing it then gotcha day is a problem now if it's like the foster foster care system and how coco kind of mentioned um it it's representative of you belonging then that's a different thing too so it it, it it's how the family kind of interprets and uses gotcha day um, and calls it gotcha day. So, yeah. Got it. So are you, are you saying that your family doesn't recognize your heritage? Uh, my family has, you know, it's interesting because my family has recognized my heritage and it's recognized my sister's Coco, her, her Indian heritage, and my sister study her Ethiopian heritage. I think she means but, more look wise. Like they don't speak our languages. They don't look like us. They we don't. Yeah. What? What? Do, well, foods. I guess yeah. Sunny, what do you what do you mean by that? Do they acknowledge it? Yeah. Yeah. They acknowledge yeah. it, but it, we don't okay. see and, it. Like I yeah. Like it, it. It's funny because they we grew up going to like we grew up in um like fellow adoptee you know, families like Sunny, she came with a bunch of Ethiopian families, um, um, a bunch of Ethiopian children who were kind of at her same orphanage. And it just so happened that a few of the families ended up in Minnesota. Um, and so we've had a really interesting and meaningful community for Sunny in that way. Um, and for myself, I have grown up going to Chinese festivals. Um, my mom, kind of pushed me into learning Mandarin when I was younger with native speakers. Um, Coco can talk more about her experience, but I would say that it was interesting because our dynamic was unique because we are all from different cultures. It wasn't just bio versus, you know, um, adopted kids or, you know, Caucasian kids versus ethnic kids. It was really, we are all three ethnic. We are all three completely different. And so therefore it actually allowed a space to grow and even get on an even higher plane of embracing culture. And that is how we actually joined different religions. We spent five years with five different communities. We were, we were uh, Buddhist, we were Hindu, we were Ethiopian Orthodox, we were Jewish, we were Muslim, not to judge or to join, um, but simply just to understand because we got into this point where um, we had more of a worldview and and I'm grateful for that. And honestly, it was because of those religions and always being like in different cultures that weren't even ours, like any culture. Um, and like just learning about them is one of the reasons why Daisy and I, I feel like we're able to go to India with such an open mind because we were so used to not being what other people were. Like when I was at the Hindu temple, obviously, I fit in sort of I mean I don't exactly know everything and like to me back when I was so young I was like I don't really know what it means to be Indian so I didn't feel like I fit in but I looked like everyone else 
Um, so that like that like feeling of just being like, oh, I'm not different. Um, but obviously for Daisy and like our other sister Sunny, and then like they're like the only Ethiopian and they're the only Chinese. Um, they're really the only people that weren't Indian there. So it was interesting because and then obviously we had that same experience at every other religion. So it was we grew up like knowing how to be different and like being okay with that. And then also like learning and being able to accept other people's views, even if we didn't agree with it. Like we're not I, like I personally like I am not religious, but it was so cool just learning about the other religions. Um so in that way, it's like we didn't grow up like surrounded by our culture just from where we live. Like there's no Chinese people, <clears throat> there's no Ethiopian people, there's no Indian people. But because mom, dad, like <clears throat> really like took us out of our like communities in small ways and then in sometimes big ways, like joining religion for a year, we did see like our cultures, just not like if we were adopted into an Indian family or a Chinese family. If that makes sense. Sure. So you got to see it. So do you, yeah. do you, as an adult now, do either of you feel any pull towards your religion or does Sunny, what, what was her religion? Does she feel a pull towards that? Funnily enough, Sunny is um joining these Jewish groups. Now, I don't know if it's because she's like, she, okay. So we took this ancestry test and um, Sunny found out she's like 47% like Ethiopian Jewish, which is like a unique minority in Ethiopia. And, um, and so she's like, oh, that's so cool. And so like just randomly, she was given an opportunity to join this like Jewish youth group, like Jewish book club. And then she's also going to like these Jewish youth group things. And I don't know if she feels a pull to the like Judaism faith or if it's just because it's a cool place to meet other young people. I have no idea. Um, that is kind of ironic. But it is kind of going off of what you said, Coco, where it's like she she has an openness to whatever that may be. And yeah. I mean, she was 47%, you know, Ethiopian Jewish, but she's also what? Uh, she's like 10 She's like Somali. Moroccan, Somalian, mm. uh, British, Indonesian. Indonesian. She's like all kinds of stuff. Um, I don't know how this all traced through her. Family. Yeah, it's but like it's so really crazy. cool. And yeah, but what was your original question again? <laughs> Oh, yes. Um, it's interesting because I, well, my my experience was slightly different because we joined a Tibetan Buddhist center. So it's kind of Chinese, but the Tibetan people don't necessarily consider themselves Chinese because of, you know, the politics what? of all of it. Yeah. Um, and so, but I, I did get a good understanding of it. And I do know the majority of um Chinese people who do practice are Buddhist. Um, it's interesting because I, you know, Kofu and I both have a respect for religion, but, and this is a completely different topic that we don't need to go into if we don't want to, but we've also seen a lot of the hypocrisy of religion and we've seen a lot of how, you know, they're all, they're all the same. Like they all have a God or gods. It doesn't really matter like if you're monolithic or not. And I think that at the end of the day, we all want to be better. We all want to be loved. Now we may have different ways and cultures that feed into how we express that. Um, but at, at the end of the day, it all boils down to the same. So I, while I do love Buddhism, 
and I do love the the peacefulness of it and there's a lot of that represented um, here in India because it came from India but at the end of the day I keep a very balanced view on all of them so I say I'm every religion but I'm none of the religions yeah I don't know I've never felt like um a pull to a religion like there have been certain aspects that I really get into like um the RT prayer time in um, Hinduism that is the only time that I have like really been like oh my gosh like this is so cool like I feel like so spiritual um and the and it's just so beautiful I just love it um but I also like really respect um like Islam and the way that the Muslims are so dedicated. I mean, everyone's dedicated, but you just particularly see it with them because it's like praying five times a day and like doing all these things. Um, and they're like pillars and everything. And it's just so crazy that they're so like dedicated and they're so disciplined in their like devotion to their faith. And I think that's really unique. Um, so those are the two religions that I kind of like like stepping out of the five years are the ones that I really like have kept my eye on um but in the when we were going through the religions because we were so young and we were we didn't completely understand like everything or like the significance of like what we're doing to us it was just like oh we're being dragged to these religions and it's awkward and <laughs> um and but like now like because it's been what we we ended in like eighth grade so that was like five years ago um now we're able to like reflect on it with a more mature lens of everything we learned um so yeah it's really interesting and I think you've both brought up a good point maybe without knowing it that um just having people have a better understanding and an open mind about one certain day and how they feel and what they're celebrating may be different and just talk it out as a family and um, see what's best for all it's what people should maybe think about yeah definitely yeah that's a really good point Chris and Daisy earlier you said um, we all want to be loved so jumping off of what Chris just said right so really gotcha day for many people is a celebration of their love for their family mm -hmm. whereas other people it, it represents the loss and so we all do want to be loved. And so some people glom onto religions because that's where they feel the love. Mm -hmm. Or, or um, you know, as, as adoptees, do you think that some adoptees are drawn to religion more than they would have been had they not been adopted? Probably, because hmm. I think... Because I feel like to me, like a huge part of religion is wanting to be a part of a community where you belong. And I feel like a lot of times like adoptees struggle with that feeling that they belong somewhere um, or that they they are accepted by like whatever it is, because, you know, our very first encounters with the world, sometimes it depends on your story, but somewhere along there, we're getting rejected by someone or our parents. Um, and so it's like, so it's like that feeling of wanting to be belonged, wanting to be accepted, wanting to be loved. One of the easiest places you can kind of find that or hope to find that is in religion. That's like one of their biggest marketing cells is that you're going to be a part of a community 
you're going to have people, you're going to feel belonged, you're going to be loved by God or whoever they worship. So I think that's, yeah. I, I'd also raise another idea, um, and they probably go hand in hand too, but um, I had a really interesting conversation with um, with an acquaintance that I know, um, and he was adopted from Russia. Uh, and he and his brother were both adopted from Russia and they're half brothers. Um, and he's had a really hard go of it. Um, he's like 20, 21, so he's still pretty young, but he's been through a lot. Um, in and out of rehab, homeless, um, all kinds of different things. And um, I remember seeing him one time at a coffee shop um, and we were just chatting about life. Um, and, he, you know, we were, somehow we got onto jewelry. I have no clue. Um, and he was talking about my rings and how he liked them. And I was like, thank you. Um, I was like, I guess I like your big Jesus cross on your neck. Um <laughs> Because it was this big, like, metal silver chain and then this big cross. And it was big. Um, and, um, I, you know, and I think in this generation, at least, you don't necessarily sh- see a lot of that. Um, a, a lot of people in our generation would consider themselves non-religious um, in general. So I thought that that was interesting. And he he was like, yeah, you know, I, I wear it because... Um, you know, it gives a good first impression. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that. I, I was like, why do you need to give a good first impression? Like, you know, because my thing is that I always wonder, you know, not what are you doing, but why are you doing it? Why do you need people to, you know, see you in a certain way? Um, and he couldn't answer that question. Um, but I think what I may, maybe interpreted, I don't know if I'm correct or not, but I think religion has a lot to do with identity. Um, and I think that when you come from losing, you know, your place, your ethnicity, your family, your history, your lineage, all of that, um, you you look for pockets uh, to find your identity, whether it is for yourself, whether it's to mm-hmm. communicate something about yourself to other people. Um, so religion is honestly, it's just, it isn't good or bad. And it is bad and good. It's really just a manifestation of the human experience and the human suffering and processing and healing and everything. Wow. You guys are deep thinkers. (laughs) Religion uh, fulfills the community and the love and the acceptance. And and that makes sense with your friend. Mm -hmm. If you, because I think often adoptees are yearning for acceptance, especially international adoptees, like if we're different ethnically, mm-hmm. then just looking for acceptance within our own families or within our own communities is always something we either consciously or subconsciously look for, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just thinking back to my own experiences as well, growing up in communities where uh, I or my family, I'm the only non-white person in my family so just Mm -hmm. just um yearning for we are too yes (laughs) yes you are so um yeah that makes sense um hmm. so let's uh switch topics a little bit um so with this yearning for community do you think that adoptees 
that that translates into a yearning for their birth families um, and looking for their birth families. Do you think, but how do you think that coalesces with the shame, I think, that we sometimes feel and how we feel conflicted about looking for our birth families, but then maintaining our loyalties to our adoptive families? Yeah. Yeah, that's like a huge um, topic, I feel, because it's so hard, because it's like, for us, like our like our talking about our birth parents and um, well, not really our parents, more like our birth mothers, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, it was always so open. So like, so like we always would um, just be more just like not open and like oh like look for them open, but more just like like it's part of your story and like you're yearning for her and everything and this the loss and the rejection and everything um is so a part of like who you are and your adoption trauma so something that it kind of went hand in hand like our adoption trauma our loss our feeling of rejection and then our birth mother just always was so intermixed so we and then like looking for them like I personally like couldn't look for her until I was 18 so like that was like a contract that she had where like so it was it was sort of like I grew up really wanting like I grew I don't even know if I grew up wanting to I feel like I, I wanted to know answers but then at the same time I like didn't want to know because it's like you could get rejected all over again and I feel like that's something that like a lot of adoptees like kind of struggle with where it's like they want to know and I feel like all adoptees deep down want to know because how could you not it's so vital to who you are but at the same time I feel like a lot struggle more with like okay maybe like I'm okay right now even if they're like struggling but it's like I understand this struggle right now but if I go to my birth parents or whatever and they're like no we don't want to see you or like whatever could have happened um, or maybe it's a honeymoon period and then you realize like these are real people these are they have struggles they they had trauma before you were born like all this obviously because why would they give you up like something happened whether it be your parents didn't accept you or you or they were like attacked whatever it doesn't it, you know and so it's like they also are going through a lot and so they could unknowingly reject you again just because they're going through it and they don't realize their actions so I feel like a lot of adoptees sometimes are like oh my god I don't want to go there <laughs> like I don't want more to deal with yeah I mean I I I, I completely know what Coco's talking about because for myself I it wasn't until I was about maybe 13 and you know 13 is when you start questioning yourself in the world and you know the existential crisis begins until you die um and so <laughs> basically it was really interesting because I up until then like between like probably maybe five to nine I had shut it off no five to 13 sorry yeah I had shut it off and I I don't know. I, I genuinely felt content and maybe I was lying to myself. I probably was. And I was too young to really even process it. But for that, you know, time in my life, um, I 
I was like, no, my, my adopted, my adoptive mother, she's amazing. I have everything I need. I'm content with myself. I'm content with how it all played out. Um, and, you know, it was really surprising actually, because then I went through my old, um, cause I started therapy when I was five. So I went through some of the different work that I'd done when I was five with my therapist. Um, and there are these angry letters and these angry poems that I wrote to my birth mom um, saying, how could you leave me? How could you do this? Um, you don't care about me. Um, and I don't remember writing them, but I recognize that feeling, that anger. Um, and so it's really interesting because they say the opposite of love is indifference. So obviously hate is, it means there's still things in there. Um, as there should be. Um, so I agree with Coco that you don't ever really truly um, not want to know or not want to care. Now, you may cope by saying you don't. But in reality, you know, I've talked to um, many different adoptees, um, adoptees from China, adoptees from all, all over the world. And I remember there was one, uh, there was a wedding actually. And I think that the 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 partners that were getting married, they put us they, I think they purposely put us at the same table as the other adoptive family. Um, and so it was a bio kid, a son, and then it was this girl from China. And so immediately I'm like, I want to get to know you. I like, you seem like my age, which she yeah, was, she, she was 19. 19. Yeah. yeah. And she, she seemed cool. She was majoring in biochem, you know, smart and thoughtful. And, uh, but I got a weird energy from her and I got this closed off energy. Um, and you know, that, that I'm not going to take that personal, obviously, but, um, I think what struck me is that the mother, she, she kind of had this kind of vigilante saviorism type energy. Um, and she was talking about how like she'd done all this work to like find out about her birth, like her daughter's birth parents and family and whatever. And she was like, but like my daughter didn't want to even know. And like, like, and she, she would ask me, why are you doing this mom? Why are you looking? I'm completely content with my family. Um, and I think it was almost more of a subtle brag and a subtle reassurance for herself that, she, you know, she must be doing the right thing as a mother. If her daughter doesn't want to find her actual parents. And I think that is an insecurity that a lot of adoptive parents feel, and it makes complete sense. Um, but I think that, um, you know, if you're admitting to out loud to people that you want to know who your real family, your real, your, your biological uh, parents are, not maybe not family, but your biological parents knowing who they are or knowing that other piece of yourself. I understand if you don't want to tell other people that completely fair and, and that's your own thing. But um, it does make me cringe a bit when I hear adopt fellow adoptees outwardly tell me and just declare that they don't want to know, because I think in reality, you're kind of lying to yourself. And that's my judgment. And it's not something that I think everyone else may agree with. But I think that in reality, you always want to know. You have to know. And yeah. even if you never know, validating that part of yourself, validating that need is maybe the best you can do for yourself. Though I will say, like having volunteered at my orphanage for like a month or whatever, for like quite a long period of time, 
Um, and then it's hard. Like it is like even because I have grown up always be, being like, I want to know. I want to like, um, I want to know about my birth parent. And I, I like I remember like sometime in elementary, I like tried to reach out and like get my last name. And they're like, you can't find that out until you're 18. And I was like, oh, forever. <laughs> and so um but then when I'm like there, and so it was before we were able, because they, we asked if we could volunteer and they had this like board meeting to be like, can these two girls volunteer or whatever? And it was like this big thing. And I hadn't gotten word back after the date that they decided. And I was like, what the heck? Like you made this big deal about the 31st, but there's nothing in my inbox. So I emailed the woman and I was like, and I titled it like, like questions about or like how to find my birth parent or like something like that or birth mother. Um, and then I said like, hey, like I wanna volunteer, like whatever. And then I was like, um, also like, I wanna find out about my birth mom because when we first went to so that initial meeting, she she was kind of hinting like people find their birth parents. And like, if you ever have questions, like let me know and stuff like that. So she was saying, she was giving me like an open door. And so I'm responding to that in the email. Um, but I never got any word back. And so it was kind of like what I was saying. I think I said this in the last podcast, but like I'm in the place where everyone has the answers, whether they're going to give them to me or not. That's a different story. But like I'm in the place where you would ask the questions. You're literally at the the um, Sofosh and the hospital that I was born in is like right it's walking distance. Like I look at it every single time you have to go through the hospital. So it's like the place of birth that I was born in is like right there and then the orphanage that I lived in is like I'm standing there so it's like but at the same time even being able to admit yeah I want to know and having these honest conversations with my parents and them always being accepting like yeah of course you want to know um and like we want to meet her too and stuff like that it I still it still took me like a month to be like okay, you haven't answered my email, <laughs> um, but I sent you an email and I was so, I want to know about my birth mom. Um, but even when I asked, it was very lackluster. It didn't, it, there was no like authority in my voice. There was no like, you will take me seriously. It was more like, hey, I sent an email. Maybe you got it. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. <laughs> it was very much like wishy-washy. It wasn't, I didn't stand my ground that much. Um, but to me, even just doing that was a lot because like I said, it's really nerve wracking to like, be like, I have the answers or I could potentially have all the answers I've ever wanted, but they're not going to be the ones like that I could want, you know, they could easily be like, she's dead or like she died of COVID. Like that was a huge fear of mine too. Like she like died of COVID because COVID was so rampant in India, um, but it could also just be like her parents aren't going to allow you to see her or her husband isn't going to allow you to see her. Like there are so many factors that could easily bar me from her. Um, and it could also just be her being like, I, no, I don't want to make contact. I don't want to go there. So that was something that I like was constantly thinking about. So it's what withhold it's what withheld me from asking the question. So even if I can admit I want to know, like taking that step is a different thing. Oh, sure. All of the possibilities that could branch off if you say, yes, you want to find out. Mm -hmm. It's easier to say no and to stay in that place of anger. 
yeah. as well. So I totally get that. Wow. All right. Um, so I guess we're coming to the end of our podcast. Um, do you guys have anything else? Like, what would you like in maybe two sentences, what would you say to those who are still sitting in that place of anger? That's a, that's a tough question, Sunny. (laughs) (laughs) Or something to think about, maybe think. (laughs) I, I I feel like I would say that it's completely valid. And there's nothing wrong with feeling that anger. And you might always feel that anger like through the rest of your life. But having the answers or just accepting it to yourself is a huge weight that will be lifted off your shoulders. Even if you feel like the moment you uttered the words, like, I want to know what happened. I want to know my origin. I want to know my birth mom or dad, either one, um, can feel like the world is going to collapse underneath you. It's not. And if anything, it's going to make your foundation stronger. Oh, that's profound. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you asked that because, um, you know, some people, some everyone who's had trauma and anyone who's ever felt angry, they everyone deals with it in a certain different way. Um, my anger has always been more outward. So, you know, if I can yell louder in Taekwondo or I can, you know, you know, go faster on the racetrack of go-karts it was whatever it was I was I was always gonna do it and gonna go full steam ahead but um I feel like the the peace um and like Coco said the anger honestly I don't know if it ever won't be a part of you um and honestly accepting that is a really really big part because how can we ever move forward or heal if we don't accept every part of ourselves and even the ugly parts and the parts that can hurt ourselves or other people it's who we are and if you don't validate that then that is a one-way ticket to driving yourself crazy um and maybe even becoming more angry um but I think that one thing that I've kind of found to help myself and it's what we kind of based a lot of our work around is accepting it talking about it um, being able to describe these emotions, I think, you know, we can have anger, but that anger, it comes from this deep and raw sense of, of grief. And it comes from this cutting sense of, of rejection, you know, and abandonment. And those are, those are really the words that stem and create anger. So honestly, it isn't even anger that is, you know, the heart of it. It's those those words that you have to just accept because I don't know necessarily if you can surgically remove that feeling of abandonment. But I think one thing that's interesting is one, getting therapy. If you have anger that is maybe spiraling outward, which why wouldn't it, you know, trauma is that way. Um, being able to work on what actions are you doing that stem from that loss and that rejection um, and working through them and bringing awareness, bringing awareness and honesty is like shedding light and air on a wound. It's what you need. You need that oxygen. Um, And I also finally wanted to touch on Sunny, you mentioned, um, you know, what kind of um, 
influences have we been um, exposed to in terms of our heritage? Um, and one thing that was really important uh, for me, and I think all parents could do this for their children, is having a big buddy or having a mentor that is of their ethnicity or race, um, even you know background, gender, economic status, but especially for the trans um, racial adoptees and these international adoptees, because I grew up with um, an with um, uh, a native Hong Kong uh, exchange student, and she was going to college in my town. Um, and so I got to spend four great years with her and uh, she really normalized China. She normalized the culture. She made it accepting and welcoming. Uh, she herself was just so cool. She was a lawyer and a musician and a go-getter um, and intelligent and smart. And she was my role model. And I'll never, I'll never stop looking up to her for both ethnic and just, you know, human reasons. Do you still do you still keep in touch with her? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I was actually gonna see if I could visit her when I went to China, which unfortunately that that probably won't happen. But um, she's someone that I can count on, and she's someone that has always got my back. And she knew a lot of my struggles with adoption and therapy when I was younger, um, and that really that really helped. She was a safe space, and she was an older, cooler. Chinese version of me that I that I saw <laughs> and that I, I could have pictured myself being. Ah, that's beautiful. We all, all need right. those one, at least one adult in our life to look up to with an open mind and understanding. Exactly. And yeah, just yeah. takes one. Yeah. And Coco had that too. Actually, the, the girls went to the same college. So my my buddy Agnes went to Carlton College and Coco's buddy Pratiksha went to Carleton College as well. Beautiful. All right. So thank you, ladies, so much for joining us today. And thank you to all of our listeners uh, for joining us today for Let's Talk. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to our podcast. And tune in again soon.